Well, church, we are uh, in a series currently that we've just entitled The Jesus That I Long to Know. And uh, the intent of this series is just to help us prepare our hearts as we focus our thoughts on Jesus as we head to Easter. So we're looking at selected events in the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, before I, I say much more about today's message, I want to just say a quick promo for next Sunday. Um, it's a message that, uh, I'll be honest, I've preached it before at, a, at another church, um, but uh, as I've thought about this series, as I thought about the history of TCC, I just feel like it's an applicable word to us, and that is that uh, Jesus is the healer of wounds, and it's a specific word for those who have been hurt by the church. I, um, uh, you know, just over 10 years at TCC, we've had many people come and be part of our congregation. We've grown during, uh, during this, th- those years. And uh, it really surprised me how many people came from different ministries where they just experienced hurt, um, various degrees of pain for various reasons. And, um, and in many cases, they just are able to, we just, we, we almost have that conversation fairly early on because people talk about those hurts and we just let them relax and catch their breath and be restored and be healed. And in some cases, then they move on and serve in other churches and we bless them and release them. And sometimes they stay here. And I think even just saying what I said, for some of you, it probably triggered some painful memories of your own past experiences with the church. And unfortunately, part of the church's history, not TCC so much, but just in general terms, the church um, has, a, has an uncanny ability to shoot its wounded, shoot its own. And so uh, I just want you to be praying um, for me and praying for the message and praying about maybe somebody that you invite. Because I suspect that there are people maybe that you attended church with before or um, uh, maybe even served on a board or something like that, and they were just so disillusioned by the experience that they had that maybe they're not even attending church anymore. And this would be just an opportunity to come up next to them and just say, hey, you know what, maybe there's a word that God has for you um, at our church this, uh, this next Sunday. So that's, uh, that's next Sunday. But this Sunday, um, I, I hope that you followed along as, as Bill read that scripture for us. What a, what a strange and yet wonderfully fascinating record of an actual event in the life of Jesus. There's no question it's unique. It's almost a little weird. Uh, But when we look at it a little bit deeper, we do uh, find that it helps us understand and know Jesus better. And, uh, and that's our goal, right? Our mission at TCC, we say this as often as we can, it's to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and to share Jesus. It's through this experiential knowledge of Jesus that he, who, for who he really is, that we, that we really live into this and we walk out that faith that we profess, often in the company of others. And, and when we're doing that, we, we can't help but then Find opportunities to share this Jesus whom we know and whom we walk with, and we want to invite others into that journey as well. And so our prayer as a staff and and leaders of the church is that we would be a church that is marked by people who are passionately pursuing a relationship with Jesus in order to joyfully serve others. That that would be our mark, that that would be our DNA, that we, in fact, simply love Jesus and we love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Sounds almost biblical. But would you pray into that with us as well? So far in this series, we've met Jesus in the desert when he was led there by the Spirit to be tempted. 
Then last week, Pastor Adam had us encounter Jesus in a boat in the midst of a storm. And so today, we will discover truths about Jesus from the time that he was transfigured. This is known as the transfiguration of Jesus. And you're thinking, transfigured what? Simply put, the transfiguration of Jesus refers to the time when a supernatural change took place in the personal appearance of Jesus. Now, Bill read for us Luke's account of this event in Luke uh, chapter 9, but Matthew and Mark also have this event recorded in their Gospels. Each of them adds some details that are unique and specific to their audience, and together these three Gospels help us understand kind of the, the, the what and the why this took place. Now, Luke, in his own uh, record of this, in verse 9 of chapter 9, we read there that Herod himself asked this about Jesus. He says, who then is this I hear such things about? And so you have to put yourself in in that situation and and realize that that Jesus' fame and his reputation, it was spreading. Everybody was talking about the things that Jesus was doing. Even Herod hears a word about this, and he goes, I mean, who is this then that I hear such things about? And really, he's asking one of the most basic and fundamental questions about Jesus, a question that many people are still asking today. Who is Jesus? And so maybe you're wondering the same thing. I mean, you hear us talk about Jesus, about having a personal relationship with Jesus, about being passionate about that relationship with Jesus. You know, thanks to Pastor Adam and the worship team for such incredibly Jesus Christ-centered worship this morning. Did you catch? Every song was about who Jesus is and about the relationship that we can have with him. And so maybe it seems even strange to you in some ways to say, oh, Jesus, how I love you. But the word makes it clear that as followers, we we love Jesus because he first loved us. And so, the question that you might be asking this morning yourself then is, who is Jesus? And why does this matter? So if you still have your Bibles, um, either on a smartphone or I I still am a little traditional, I, I like my paper copy, hear the pages turning as we, as we study His Word together. But I invite you to look at Luke 9 again. I'm going to walk through this text in some detail just to kind of point out some of the significance of some of the things and then just make a couple of observations at the end. But Luke begins by just saying that this is about eight days after Jesus had said this. Um, Bill read uh, uh, for us those verses. Jesus had just predicted his death. And just before those words, Jesus even had this exchange with Peter in which he specifically asked Peter this question. He says, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter answered quite boldly, God's Messiah. But he still didn't quite understand and comprehend what Jesus was really all about. And so this chapter in Luke is all about confirming who Jesus is and why he would die and why he would be raised to life. And so the text says that Jesus then took Peter, James, and John. This is kind of his inner circle. And together they head up a mountain. And Jesus' intent was specifically to pray. And Jesus knew that he was about to face a major turning point in his ministry. And he needed to pray. And it's just something that we should, that we should note um, so many times in Scripture. And Luke does a, a masterful job of this. Over and over we see that Jesus got alone or Jesus took someone with him. And then they went to pray. And he's looking um, 
for direction himself from his father. The specific mountain that they climb is not named, and there are a few options, but it's not really all that important to to the to the uh, the truth and the significance of this ver- ver- of this uh, of this passage, but in verse twenty nine it just says as he was praying. So he's doing exactly what he said he was going to do, and why they were up on the mountain in the first place. So as he was praying, his appearance changed, or he was supernaturally transformed, or as the the theological term is, he's transfigured, he's changed. And, and Matthew says this about this. He says, his face shone like the sun. And you're going to see something here as I go through a couple more things, that all of these gospel writers are doing their absolute best to describe this scene. And Luke writes, his clothes then became as bright as a flash of lightning. And Mark describes Jesus' clothing, clothing as dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So he becomes, right in front of their eyes, this glorious figure. I mean, can you try to just imagine this a little bit? It, it's not hard with the way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe it, is it? it, it it's just, it's almost like something out of a, out of a science fiction movie. You just, just, you can almost picture just total brightness. It's not your normal or usual appearance. And in that moment, there's a preview of Christ's coming exaltation, of his coming glory. When Jesus returns, and we sung about this that this morning, when Jesus returns in all of his glory. And so here's this... Um, this incredible picture of Jesus in all of his fullness, all of his splendor, all of his glory. And so now, as if that isn't enough, right? So you can picture Jesus in, in this incredibly bright white light. Now Moses and Elijah also show up. And Luke describes uh, even them in this glorious splendor. And so you've got Moses, you've got Jesus, you've got Elijah, and, and uh, they have a conversation amongst themselves. I mean, I mean, I told you this was a little strange, wasn't it? But now why would Moses and Elijah appear, of all people? There's got to be a reason for that. And what is that reason? Thanks for asking. It is thought that these two men, they represent two key periods in Israelite history— Moses represents the law. He was the one that brought the Ten Commandments from God. And again, if you remember the scene, he himself went up to a mountain, met God, received the stone tablets, and came down. And the way he was described is that his face was radiant. So Moses himself had, you know, met God, and and there's this radiance, this glory shining from his face. And Elijah then represents the prophets. And so even here, Jesus is, is, there's this scene unfolding that A, reminds us that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And that he himself, too, was a prophet, but he was so much more. So can you still picture this? Are you tracking with me? Jesus in this dazzling display of glory. He's talking with Moses and Elijah, arguably two of the most important Old Testament figures. And Luke tells us 
that what, what they were talking about. And they were talking about Jesus' departure, or the Greek word exodus, a leaving. And then Luke adds, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So in other words, he's, he's beginning to predict his own death and his leaving, but ultimately his glorious resurrection and then his ascension into heaven. And we sang about that too this morning, about Jesus being there at the, the right hand of, of God. And it's just this incredible picture. And so here they are talking about this turning point of Jesus' journey to the cross, which would ultimately be his death. And, 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 and it seems early, but then the next 10 chapters in, in Luke are all about really preparing Jesus' disciples for ministry. And, and they, in fact, have a lot to learn, like how to stay awake while praying or paying attention while your friend is transfigured before your very eyes. Because what do you think Peter, James, and John are doing while this dramatic scene is unfolding? This, here, I can, you can tell me, what's the answer? They're sleeping. They're fully asleep. And then it says, well, they were very sleepy. But, but then, of course, they became fully awake. And so what do they see? They see this glorious, the, the glory of Jesus. They see the two men standing with him. And, and you know what it's like when you've been sleeping? I don't know if you've ever had this experience when you're, when you're sleeping and somebody comes and wakes you with a flashlight. Has anybody ever had this happen to them? Am I the only one? Can you imagine what would happen at least? You're wondering, when did that ever happen to you? Were you in prison or something? But actually, quick story, side note, um, wandering off my notes. Um, I, I think I've, I always forget what I've told you and what you don't know about me or our lives. And, and, um, and so if I'm repetitive, but when Lucas was born, he was only five months old, Tina um, was uh, struck with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, it's an incredibly rare disease. And, and she ends up uh, in intensive care on a ventilator. And I'm spending pretty much uh, 24 hours at the hospital, and then her dad would come for 24 hours, and then I would. But I was sleeping in the hospital. And one of the nurses said, you know, there's a part of the hospital that's closed. Just there's beds there. Go find a bed. So I go down, if you've ever been in like an abandoned hospital, it's kind of a freaky feeling to begin with, and I go and I find a bed and I'm sleeping there. And in the middle of the night, security comes and they shine the flashlight in my eyes and it's just like, you know, you can't even see and you're wondering what is going on. But anyways, I didn't intend to tell that story and I just did. But you can imagine, right? It's your pupils are fully dilated and it's just this total, total brightness. And, um, and now, um, so here I lost my notes, see? Um, so your eyes have to adjust, right? And, and, and you can't even really see clearly. And so th- this is the picture that I see happening here. They're kind of rubbing the sleep from their eyes. There's this brightness, and they're just like, like, Jesus? And, and who is that with you? And what, Moses, Elijah? Where did they come from? And I don't think it would have taken them long, though, for them to be wide awake. And, and Luke even says they became fully awake. There's now no more sleep because of this incredible scene. And now as Moses and um, Elijah are about to walk off, 
They're about to leave, and, and Peter's like, no, 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 this can't happen. So, of course, he speaks, and that shouldn't surprise us because what we know about Peter is he was often the leader, he was the spokesman, and uh, he was known for his forceful character. He was known for kind of his foot-and-mouth disease at time. And so he just blurts out, I think, Master, it's good for us to be here. It's like, what? What? Peter, what do you, what do you mean it's good for us to be here? Why? And I, and I think Peter instinctively knew because he's like, this is one of those events that you actually have to see it to believe it. Because can you imagine any one of them trying to go back and tell the other disciples about this? I mean, as they're describing it, they're all like rolling their eyes and saying, oh yeah, right. But now there are the eyewitness accounts of three people. And they're like just able to, to authenticate this moment, to just say, no, that, seriously, that's exactly what we saw. And then Peter asked Jesus for permission to put up three shelters or booths or tents. And he says, one for each of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. It's it's almost as if Peter's decided that they need to somehow um, extend this encounter. I mean, isn't that what we would do? Right? And we've had these experiences. Maybe you've gone to, you remember going to camp or or you've been at at some kind of um, meeting and and you just encounter the glory and the presence of God in such an incredible way that you're just like, man, I just want to stay here. I want to hang on to this. I want this to to, to, to never go away. And that's what Peter's saying. He's like, good for us to be here, but, but let's build this so we can, we can keep this and kind of bottle it up and just stay up here on the mountain for a while. And I like how Luke just sort of adds parenthetically, he did not know what he was saying. Right? I mean, Luke just makes this point of commenting on Peter's statement by making sure that everyone forever knows that Peter was ignorant about the things that he was talking about, and he often spoke without thinking. And so clearly, Peter is depicted throughout Scripture as this imperfect leader who is still learning and growing. I can, I can identify with that, because we're all in, in process. But Mark, in his gospel, gives another perspective, because he, he says a little bit differently. He says, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. I mean, we probably now all can identify with this, Right? That, that when we are so afraid in a certain situation that we just, we just don't even have the words. So can we really blame Peter for saying something, even if it's kind of a little out there? I mean, he, he's, he's just trying to make sense of it all. It's, it's probably what any one of us would do. So are you still tracking with me? Can you picture this now, right? Jesus, dazzling white, just a a visible glory all around him. Moses and Elijah, and they're talking with Jesus. The sleepy disciples, totally bewildered. Peter making dumb comments. And before Jesus can answer Peter, a cloud appears and covers them. Now, the cloud itself in the Old Testament, it, it represented the presence of God. You may recall in in the Exodus, it was the cloud that led the Israelites during the day. And the scriptures here says that it wasn't just that this cloud appeared, it was that they, they entered into the cloud, and yet it says of their own emotion that they were totally afraid. And that that probably is somewhat of an understatement at this point. Right? Because this scene just keeps getting 
almost stranger and stranger. But it kind of helps us imagine what is actually taking place. And if this were a movie now, the the music is starting to build, right? And the the climax of this whole moment is about to to happen. And, And a voice comes from the cloud. God speaks. And when God speaks, we really should pay attention. And verse 35 tells us what the voice said. He says, first of all, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. Each of these phrases are are significant in terms of what what God is saying. He says, first of all, this is my son. He's speaking in the first person. And so again, it just reveals who is actually speaking here. It's God. And so this Jesus that we long to know, he is the son of God. And then he adds, whom I have chosen whom I have chosen. So God's choice of Jesus was a conscious and deliberate choice. It's really what makes Jesus unique because he called him, it was his choice to be the deliverer, just like Moses was. And he was called to be a prophet like Elijah, but to reveal God's way. And God's way was that his own son would give his life on a cross so that we could have life and have eternal life and have forgiveness of sins. And therefore, if this is God's Son and I have chosen Him, listen to Him. Listen to Him. And that was what He was calling the disciples to do. That was their responsibility. Listen to what He says. So this is my son whom I have chosen. Now all of you listen to him. In other words, pay attention to what Jesus is saying. In essence, the the voice answers Peter's question. I mean, there was no need for three shelters. They only need to listen to one voice. Jesus is unique and his voice is authoritative. And I'll explain what I mean about that in a moment. But let me just finish concluding and describing this scene because after God said what he said, then suddenly Jesus was alone. So Moses and Elijah are now gone. The disciples are so startled. They're just completely undone by this whole experience. And, and, and the text says that they kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. And that's probably a good lesson for us this morning too, Right? If you don't really know what to say, don't say anything at all. (laughs) Because oftentimes we need time for implications to develop and to be understood. Often events in our lives that that are, are deep and meaningful and significant, they need reflection time before we can really speak about them. I mean, what did this really mean? And I believe this was true for Peter because later on, when he writes a letter, he shares the reflections of this very event. So listen to the parallels from this. If you want to look in your own Bible, it's 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18. And this is what he writes. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories. Okay? They didn't make this stuff up. When we told you, 
about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, he's, he's, he's reporting now on the event that he experienced that Luke has described for us so well. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And he says this, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. I mean, Peter didn't know what to say at the time, but it's pretty obvious that the experience had this incredible impact on him. And so how should this impact us today? What does this voice from the cloud say to us? Just two things. One, that Jesus is unique. Jesus unique. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in some respects, that is probably no big deal for us today. It's like, well, yeah, of course he's the Son of God. We all know that. But it was revolutionary at the time. And in many respects, it's just as revolutionary today. Because we live in a pluralistic culture. So the expectation is that we must accept all religions as equals. So even though people are on a spiritual quest, many are seeking, considering these kind of spiritual issues, and like Peter, they want many booths built in a row. Kind of like a a religious wall of honor, or a a multi-faith flea market, or or a you know, where you can kind of go from memorial to memorial or table to table, booth to booth, and pick up from, from all of these religious traditions as much as possible, right? Kind of like this spiritual buffet where we just kind of pick and choose the things that, that we like, all in honor of, of, of our commitment to religious toleration. Perhaps you've had a conversation that with someone that kind of goes like this, and and, and maybe you're not this bold, but you step out and you just say, you know what, I'm a Christian. That means I follow Jesus. And, and the person says, well, that's great. I, I'm very spiritual too. And then you're like, oh, you, you are. That, that, that's great. What, what does that mean to you that you're very spiritual? Well, it's not that I, it's really that I don't believe in Jesus like you do, if that's, if that's what you mean. I mean. I mean, he was a good teacher, and he was a prophet, and he loved everyone. I really like that about him, but, but I, I can't buy this that he was the Son of God. And to that, the voice says, this is my Son. He's unique. Because you can't say that about Buddha or Krishna, or Muhammad, or Joseph Smith, or even Moses and Elijah. Jesus is not their equal. He is the glorified and chosen one of God. And there is this unmistakable revelation of Jesus' identity here to support this. So who is Jesus, you ask? I mean, that was Herod's question. And in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 22, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. He says, once when Jesus was praying in private with his, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? 
So who does everybody say I am? And they say, they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And so the people, even then, were obviously confused. And so then Jesus says, well, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. And it's interesting because then Jesus says, he strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest, and the teacher of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew who God had called him to be, that he was God's chosen deliverer. And Jesus didn't come to deliver the the Jewish nation from Roman rule. He came to deliver them from sin and bondage. He came to break the chains and to free them. And that's what he still does today. When we acknowledge that he is the Son of God and that he came to deliver us from our sin, that he lived, that that, that he was crucified, that he died, buried, and was raised again on the third day. And by doing that, he defeated sin and defeated death. And he proclaims freedoms for the captives. And he makes forgiveness and eternity possible. Do you know this Jesus? Is that the Jesus that we long to know? I mean, if if you don't know Jesus, why not come to know him today? You, 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 maybe you've been on the spiritual quest. Maybe you're just like the person that I described earlier. You're trying to pick and choose and look at all these other things. But I'm saying to you today, this is what the Bible teaches. Jesus was God's son. He was unique. And you can trust him with your life, your eternal life. But if you do know Jesus, how do we respond to this? I think quite simply, we just follow him and we worship him. We get to know Him. We really know Him. And so we immerse ourselves in the Gospels. We get alone with our Bible and we read and reflect and and we engage with His words so that when He says something, we can do it. And so what does the voice say to us? Well, Jesus is unique. And secondly, Jesus is authoritative. That is that Jesus can be trusted. He is reliable. And this is something that the disciples were still learning about him. And when you consider that they had the opportunity and the privilege of of receiving life instructions from him for several years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they were still pretty slow learners at times. Because just before uh, the transfiguration on the mountain, Jesus told the disciples what following him would cost. Listen now to verses 23 through 25 in chapter 9. It says this, Then he said to them all, so this is Jesus speaking again, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Following Jesus requires a denial of ourselves. Then he says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. There's a sacrificial way of living in relationship with Jesus. 
And then he asks another really important question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, there's lots of things in this world that we can be passionate about. But the one thing that really matters is having a passionate, joyful relationship with Jesus. And so following Jesus, it requires a change of perspective. The things that he says that we're supposed to listen to, it's different from the world. It's different from the world's expectations. And therefore, listen to him. Listen carefully, and he will teach you what it means to follow him. And so then you're reading the Bible, and it comes across. Jesus was, been, was baptized. He teaches baptism. And you say to yourself, going, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I haven't been baptized. Guess what? You demonstrate your, your followership of Jesus by saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get baptized. We're going to have a baptism on Easter Sunday. Because what more fitting way than to to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ than by celebrating with those who say, I know who Jesus is, and I've given my life to him. If you want to be baptized, talk to one of the pastors, talk to one of the staff, and we'd love to, to help you get ready for that. But God the Father endorses the teaching here of his son. He, he puts this giant approval, this stamp of approval on the authenticity of Jesus. He sets him apart. He gives him the authority to teach. And Luke's gospel for the next 10 chapters then lays out that authoritative teaching. And it's true in all the other gospels as well. And so, friends, I stop and say, is this the Jesus that we long to know? Because if it is, then we need to learn from him. We need a saturation with Jesus and his teaching. We need to ensure that we expose ourselves to the voice of God. And again, we come to his word and we learn and we grow. And as his true disciples, we sit at his feet. He's the teacher. We're the students. And slowly but surely, this transformation starts to take place. And we learn to hear God through the Holy Spirit. And he reminds us then of something that Jesus said or something that he did. And we listen to him. And we start to think like Jesus. And we start to act like Jesus. And that's why we offer the Hearing God Seminar. And it's very similar to, for the ladies, the, 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 the study that they're going to be doing by, uh, by Beth Moore. This pursuit of intimacy with God the Father. And so this, we talk about Hearing God at TCC because... We want to train and equip ourselves that we can actually hear the gentle whispers of God. And we learn that when we need direction, we, we listen and God will guide us. And when we need encouragement, we, we listen and we hear God affirm our identity as his sons and daughters and his love for us. This is my child, he says, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. I mean, do you long to hear Jesus speak? then listen to him. And so that's it. From a strange and dramatic event called the transfiguration of Jesus, we learn that Jesus is the unique son of God, and so we need to worship him. And we learn that Jesus is authoritative, and so we need to listen to him. And so just in closing, let me lead us just in a time of prayer and reflection. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and 
I'm going to invite you to just maybe close your eyes. If you're like me, it's like, oh, there's a bird, and it's easy to be distracted. And, and, and just, just still your own heart. There might be a lot of things racing through your mind right now. But if Jesus were to appear to you and say, who do you say I am? How would you answer that question? Not so much with an adjective, but with a noun. What word did the Holy Spirit just bring to your mind right away? King? Lord? Savior? Messiah? Deliverer? Son of God? Who do you say I am? And then what is he saying to you? What did you hear this morning? What did you sing? How is he calling you to to know him more intimately? And maybe our prayer is just simply, Lord, show us your glory. Show us your power. Like Peter, James, and John, they saw you in all of your glory. And when they did, they never turned back. There were stumbles and bumps and falls along the way. But they followed you. So Lord, help us to truly be people who passionately walk with Jesus in order to joyfully serve the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.